So now we flip it over. Right now, little Scott High has got to like stop it, flip it over. Yeah. And I'm going to uh, probably one of the biggest songs of 1982, certainly for for you and I. And I don't think I'm over, you know overselling this one. song that you hear all the time even today Coming off of the Rocky Three movie soundtrack, and our dad took us to go see this in the movie theater, and hearing that song for the first time and seeing the the movie, seeing Rocky Balboa battle it out against Clever Lang. I don't think, as a as a young kid, I probably would have seen it when I was about ten years old, eleven years old now, as we're doing the mixtape. Uh, I don't think there was ever a movie that probably tapped into <laughs> little Scotty High as much as this movie did. Got the juices flowing, did it? It. I remember walking out of that movie theater and saying, I want to be a tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be a tough guy. And I went, um, our parents got us these uh, these reading pillows. Remember the reading pillows that we used to have? Yeah. Where you could prop them up against the... Uh... So when we got home from the movie... We each had these little student desks that we had in our bedrooms. And I, I cleared off my desktop, and I put this reading pillow on the top, and that reading pillow became Clever Lang. And I punched at that thing for hours and hours and hours. And I'm telling you, I cut my hands up so bad on the corners of that desk. And I did that for hours, and I just said, I want to be a tough guy. So, <laughs> so did you? I don't know. I, I guess somebody else would have to answer that did you, question. Uh, did you go to school the uh, the next day and start bullying kids? <laughs> I wasn't a bully, but uh, you're just I, a tough guy. I was, wasn't going to put up with it. You're, you're a tough guy for hire. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I just wasn't going to put up with it. <laughs> that's right. Didn't you uh, like punch your Snoopy stuffed animal as well? Did he uh, take a blow? No, and, I don't. Something happened. With, I think Snoopy's ear got caught in the vacuum cleaner. I, or something. I thought maybe that's what happened. Uh, no, no. That that unfortunately he lost his ear before that. That was a, a mishap. I think it was. Um, Maybe the Kirby or something like that, the Kirby okay. vacuum cleaner. All right, so that was uh, my my eighth song, uh, side B, song number one. And so. that, and that you know and that song I think is something that has become part of uh, pop culture, even today. So I mean, obviously it's part of Gen X pop culture. You know, that's what we're here talking about. It, but I think it has not left the culture. I mean, that came out in 1982. We're talking 41 years ago. At the time of this recording, and it's still prevalent. You 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 would play that song in almost any movie today, where there's like a pump up scene, like an athletic scene, yeah. where there's a boxing scene, where you have that anyone that's kind of an underdog kind of training. That it's like perfect training music. I don't I don't know if any song will ever top Bill Conti's "Gonna Fly Now," which is the original Rocky theme. I'm, but this I'm going is going with that one. This is pretty. I'm going with "Eye of the Tiger." "Eye of the Tiger" is you know if if it's not, it's they're pretty close. So and part of that too is our age. Yeah. So we obviously have gone back and we've watched the Rocky movies, but we didn't see them in the theater. But we saw this movie in the theater. We did, and it, it was. 
it, as you say, we are primed and ready for it at this age. To me, you know, this has always been on a permanent psych up mixtape before you're going to go play sports. Yeah, I mean, it, I I've had it on on other mixtapes myself, and it's it's always in there. Yeah, so you know, no surprise that it, it, it was probably one of those songs that I got uh, couldn't get the recording that sound that I wanted on side A. And then I kicked off side B. But you know what? Even one. if the recording wasn't perfect, if you had played it in front of the group of kids, like say, you know, the older kids, yeah. they would have been singing along so loudly they would not have noticed. Sure. Well, that was uh, song one on side B. Let's go to song two. And I think this is kind of the precursor to what ended up becoming even bigger in the in the year to come in 1983. The 1982, you're starting to hear this this technological sound, this techno sound come in to music, and it's becoming very popular. this song eventually does go to number one this is the human league and don't you want me and they had a very successful debut album mm-hmm. and not so good second album it kind of went away in the american market now they ended up going to jimmy jam and terry lewis and coming out with human in 1987 which gives them a little bit of a resurgence and was a very popular album for them but when was feeling fascination that was this album that was this album yeah okay yeah so this was, uh, it had the two big hit songs in the United States in the Human League. Like I said, they're kind of the predecessor for some of the bands to come. Like shortly after this, you start seeing these groups like Kajagoogoo and then eventually Duran Duran when, when the British invasion becomes even bigger. So it's, uh, they kind of kicked the door open and had, had some good success in 82. But I think they kind of set the stage for what was yet to come. This is just pure pop. And it's kind of interesting because I wouldn't have said that, you know, this band would have been that way. You would have thought that they would have been more artistic. Right. And But they tapped into something. I mean, I, th- I think I heard that this wasn't something that they felt super comfortable with releasing. It, they were kind of forced to release it because everyone else heard the hit. Right. Well, you know, uh, even bef- this came before somebody who released a solo album like Thomas Dolby. Thomas Dolby was still playing keyboards on other people's albums like Foreigner, and he actually played the keyboards I read on the Thompson Twins because the lead singer, uh, Tom, what's his name, hadn't learned to play the synthesizer yet. So they brought in, literally brought in Thomas Dolby to just perform on the album so they could get the album done. Right. Uh, But there was this technological sound that a lot of these groups were embracing, and it, it does it does it sound dated? Yeah, but it's kind of the kind of the neat thing about it. it does kind of take you back to a time and place. When, I think it's when great. Maybe you heard this song for the first time, and 
it gets played an awful lot. It's one of those songs that gets played an awful lot that, to me, kind of still holds up. I, I'm surprised after this thing being in such heavy rotation for 41 years, I'm not sick of it. Yeah. And and I'm not. Now, I, you know, I have my personal choice. I like the second song on this album better. Yeah, Fascination. Fascination, yeah. I thought, to me, was, was the song that I enjoyed the most. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> And the video, I think at that point, you and I, we had MTV. Sure. And I think that kind of helps play into it as mm-hmm. well. All right. So that was uh, my number two song on side B. Third song on side B, very famous group and very good song. So, Sean, when the producers of this album for Fleetwood Mac got together and came up with the song Hold Me, mm-hmm. they found that when they, Christine McVie and Lindsey Buckingham sang together, their voices sounded very much alike. I'm Casey Casey. Okay. Now a letter. I just want to try and throw that in somehow. but So they... They thought their voices sounded alike. Yeah, they actually they thought it was a it was a kind of a neat blending of songs because I totally agree with that. It's it's in a way it's it's not harmonized. It's just kind of layered, but yet there's there you can tell the difference. But yet you can but it kind of sounds similar. It's like it's almost like if you took somebody's voice and did the digitize like the share. Yeah, and, and did the but I mean think about it. That's kind of what it sounds like. Well, that you know. That song that I played a few episodes ago by the Moody Blues, Gemini Dreams, kind of that way. Yeah. I mean, it's the two voices. I really like that sound. I I would have done more of this if I was Fleetwood Mac because that's my favorite part of the song. It, well, I, I, I like that, and I also like how Mick Fleetwood's drums come in, like, early on. I, I don't think I appreciated what a good drummer he was when I was a yeah, kid. very underrated. Because he, he was a bit of a character. He was more of a personality than, yeah. than you thought of him as a musician. Now, you know, and Fleetwood Mac had successful albums like, you know, like Tango in the Night was ni- late 1987 or into 1988. Uh, what I always rem- remembered about Fleetwood Mac was that uh, John McVie and Lindsey Buckingham were great musicians. Lindsey Buckingham had a great voice. Uh, you know, great Chris, songwriter. Yeah, that they were known for good songs. But you never really thought about Mick Fleetwood as a drummer, right? But yeah, he was. He was. I remember watching them do that live reunion performance in the late '90s mm-hmm. when they came back and and what was it called, the Last Tango or something like that. And I just remember watching them playing the drums, like, man, he's 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 good. He's, and he was at, at his fifties at that point. Well, when this song started and I heard those voices, the thought that popped into my head was, it's a shame Lindsey Buckingham was so difficult. To get along with because they could have produced more music like that. Yeah, yeah, and they would get they would get together like they they did. You know, they were so huge with rumors in the seventies, and then he seized control and they came out with Tusk. Right now, Tusk had you know some some hits on it, particularly the the self titled song, but it wasn't as successful as Rumors. Oh no, 
So this was kind of their their attempt to get back into the studio and kind of work together as a band again. And they had they had some luck with that. But then they just they would just keep clashing. And it was almost like it was an on again, off again album uh fight that they would have where they would be okay and then it would go bad and then they would be okay and then it would go bad. And it just seems like they could never figure out that where some bands like Mick Jagger and, and Keith Richards, they don't particularly or you know, for a long time they didn't want to be in the same room with each other, but they figured out how to stay together as a group. Well, I, it adds a dimension when you talk about the the relationships where you have, you know, John McVie and Christine McVie were married. Right. Then they're divorced, but they're still in the band. Right. Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks were never married, but they were a couple. Right. And then they break up and they're still in the still band in the together. Band. So it makes it, a, I think it's an extra layer where Mick and Keith, eh, they can just like ignore <laughs> each other and that, that, that whatever's good for business. Yeah. All right, so that was Hold Me by Fleetwood Mac, song number three on side B. One a, a song now that I really, really like, and I liked it back then, but I think I one of more of one of my favorites on this mixtape now is song number four. And I know you'll like this one too. Listen to that funk. Oh yeah, and this this is another sound of 1982. Yeah, there are other bands like this. The Brothers Johnson would have been similar to this because yeah. this is the Daz band, right? You mentioned the Brothers Johnson. The Gap Band was another one oh, that stands it, out. You know, I was a big fan of the Gap Band. Yeah. Uh, but these guys, to me, you know, Sean and I, we, we mentioned, and I, and this is where I love the fact that we live close enough to Philadelphia so that we could get a little bit of that influence from the musical culture of stuff that was popular in Philadelphia. And I credit watching a TV show like A Dancing on Air, which is where, for the very first time, I ever saw the Sugar Hill Gang mm-hmm. do Rapper's Delight. No, it was Apache. Saw them perform Apache on Dancing on Air. It was just the diversity. It, it, it opened up a lot more doors for us coming from a smaller town, being close to a big city that had this much cultural uh, impact. And I thought, uh, you know, a, a radio station like Hot Hits 98, where they're staying up-tempo, and you're kind of sliding from rock to pop to now R&B and funk. Right. Because this is definitely a song that would not have been played on the rock station. Right. Yet we were very aware of it. Absolutely. And it was, uh, you know, this was, again, from a, this is pre-MTV. So we're not, there's, we're not exposed to any of these music videos. Now, I think the first time I ever saw the Daz Band perform this song would have been on Soul Train. Mm-hmm. And you and I, you kind of got me into watching Soul Train when I was young. Uh, and it was in part because of groups like this, like Rick James, like the Daz Band, the Gap Band. 
and you could you could see these these uh, artists perform on a on a TV show that might not necessarily get on American Bandstand. Or although I'm pretty sure Daz Band did do that song on American Bandstand because it was such a big hit. Um, but it was kind of cool to see. Like I said, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of diversity in this particular mixtape. And it was just strictly off of me listening to the radio and saying, I like this song, I like this song, I like this song. And I think that's where a radio station can kind of help influence, you know, a musical taste of, of somebody, which we were fortunate to have back in those days. Sure, because it would been, you know, depending where you were in the country or, you know, what station you're listening to, it would have been very strange to have John Cougar next to the Daz Band. But here, you know, it like you said, one radio station was playing both, probably side, side by side. And that's, I think, that's kind of the cool thing because when radio started to become compartmentalized, right? When you and I were still in the radio business, I noticed that happening because now all of a sudden, you went from having, uh, you know, your regular radio stations, but now it was adult contemporary, uh, classic rock, uh, top forty. It just seemed like every. You couldn't have a radio station or oldies. You couldn't have two stations that would play, you know, twenty years worth of songs. It had to be you had to be fitting into this format, right? And that's unfortunately that's what happened when when kind of companies and corporations came in and started to micromanage the radio stations. Back in this time, you know, the the DJ still had a lot of influence on on what was said or you know, necessarily what was heard. Yeah, I remember we would go to our neighbor Brian Henry's house, and one of the things that Brian and I always used to like to do was bug the uh, FM ninety seven mm-hmm. DJ. We would call him up and and request a song, and we'd always get like the same response. Yeah, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> what would you ask for? Oh, it, I, th- this is over a period of years. I mean, it could have been any number. I'm sure there was probably one of the songs on this list. Like, uh, I'm sure I was in, infatuated with Survivor. Or heat of the moment. I, I'm sure I would have requested at least that song once or twice. Well, I remember doing the same thing, going over to you know, you'll go to a friend's house. You'd have a sleepover, mm-hmm. and then usually, you know, you at like midnight or one o'clock in the morning, then you get up the the courage to call into the radio station, right? And then when they would actually play your song, you get you get super excited <laughs> that they played it, and especially if they mentioned your name, yeah, that was even better. So the the one time that I remember calling in was I was. Uh, State. It was right about this time. It might even even have been uh, maybe the following year, but but within six months of when you recorded this, um, I called the radio station and requested "Turning Japanese" by the Vapors. Oh yeah, there you go. And I was so elated <laughs> when later on they said, "Here's a request for Sean Turning Japanese." All right. Yeah. There you go. All right, because <laughs> so he that- did it with a puker voice, of course. <laughs> so that was uh, well. You have to explain what a puker voice is to. To some folks, well, it's kind of like the uh, a radio term, yes, for the the guy that is the DJ. It's always a guy, well, not always a guy, but usually a guy. And they they really emphasize and really talk in the DJ voice, but when they're off air, they don't talk that way at all. Yeah, it, it's it's basically over over trying to really oversell something. Where hey guys and gals, you you Jims and Sal's are my best pals. I can't wait to get on you. Yeah. And, and they kind of overdo it. Yeah. So yeah, at the, the stations you would call those guys pukers. Yeah, we called them pukers. But we knew a lot of pukers over the years. All right, so that was song number four on side B. Song number five. I don't know if you've heard this song in forty years. So let me uh, let me play it for you. Mm-hmm. 
probably haven't heard that song in a long time no you're right i haven't heard it in 40 years that is donna summer and love is in control finger on the trigger well the only reason i knew immediately who that was was because in when we talked about it in a previous episode okay. you mentioned that donna summer okay. was was on the mixtape and um i think you may have even said the, the name of the song you know it, it's funny because she was always known as the queen of disco but she had a very successful you know career in the early 80s this was her second album, and then She Works Hard for the Money is yet to come in 1983. Mm-hmm. This album was produced by Quincy Jones. Now, it went gold. It wasn't as, um, as successful as the record company had thought it was going to be. This was one of the first This was one of the first albums that was put together by David Geffen for Geffen Records after he bought his, you know, got his own label. So the, the result was a little disappointing, but it still did get a hit song off of it. So, you know, I, I do remember the song, you know, I, I, and I also haven't listened in a long time, but I'm kind of surprised that this would have been one of the 14 on your on your list. I, I thought it was kind of cool. Okay. Uh, now, keep in mind, you know, the, the Hot Hits format, you're looking at roughly 20 songs. So I, I have 14 of the 20 songs okay. that... That was in that in that rotation. So no, I mean it's 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 keeping with the other songs. Mm-hmm. I mean it's got that upbeat tempo. Yeah. So that was uh, that was num- song number five on side B. Song number six, and and I I wanted to mention this because it ended up being one of my favorite songs on the tape. But when I actually made the mixtape, I put the whole thing together, and it was originally twelve songs, and that would have been the last one. The Donna Summer song would have been the last one. And then, you know, like some kids do, you realize you got a little bit more space at the end of the tape. So I thought, and what was more exciting, you know, in the Seinfeld episode when Kramer's going on the test drive with the car Mm -hmm. and it's on E? Yes, right. It's like, how many songs can I get in before I run out of tape? Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but for me, that was always like one of the great, you know, challenges. And when it worked... And you had like, because, you know, you want it to be end perfectly. You want to end right at the 59, 10 or whatever, because you had about 10 seconds of, of dead tape at the beginning and end of each side. So I thought, um, you know, what if, you know, how close can you get it? And when you nail it, oh, it's so exciting. It's kind of like Christmas and your birthday all rolled up into one. So I found out I actually had, I had more space on this. And I'm really glad I did because this, this was one of my favorite, favorite songs of 1982. It's a feeling, burning like a lump 
So I would, I would classify myself as an Eddie Money fan, and I would argue this is probably my favorite Eddie Money song of, of his whole catalog. I know he's had a lot of good, really good ones, but this just maybe is because of the time when the song came out, and it just brings back so many happy memories, but I think this might be my favorite one. Oh, it's not even close for me. This is my favorite okay. Eddie Money song. Not Shaken? Well, that was that was the follow-up, you know. It's... It, I like the video for Shaken. Uh, I, I like the video for Shaken better than this video. He's this a vampire. Yeah, this in this is a little video. bizarre. Yeah, but as far as songs, you know, this easily could have been on our comeback show. I this I never get tired of the song because remember he had uh, you know, t- two tickets to paradise, mm-hmm. which was in the '70s. Then he went away for a while, right? And then suddenly in 1982, he comes out with this song as the lead from his album, and he's back. And then he goes away, and then he comes back in '87 with "Take Me Home Tonight." Uh, yeah, I, you know, Eddie Mahoney, as as he is in real life, ended up you know passing away a few years a few years ago, but uh, had a very respectable career. Sure, and was was had a long I'd say probably thirteen years in the in the popular music industry is is really impressive. And he was a pretty funny guy. I remember he would come into Lancaster and you know play like the local clubs and. He would stop by the radio station and he would have everybody in stitches as he'd, you know, do the same routine over and over again. But it was always funny. Yeah. I mean, those guys had a shtick back then. Yeah. And, and we talked about it with our variety shows. And and I think we talked about that with, uh, you know, Tony Orlando and Dawn, how they kind of had this kind of well-rehearsed banner that would that they would go back and forth with to, to entertain the crowds. And right. he was just doing it in a radio station, uh, you know, tell, telling funny stories. And he kind of had this self-deprecating way of, of telling stories. You know, he never took himself too seriously. He was a guy who, uh, his because his dad was a police officer and he enrolled in the academy, and he said that he dropped out because he didn't want to cut his hair and then <laughs> we're going to make him cut his hair okay. shorter. But, uh, you know, the guy ended up having a really, really good uh, musical career and very underrated sax player. I don't know if you ever heard him play sax. I can't say that I have. He was, uh, you know, he, in the song Take Me Home Tonight, he mm-hmm. actually did play the sax okay. in that. And he's quite talented as, as a sax player. But Well, I remember it was the early 2000s and I was up in Killington, Vermont skiing. And, um, you know, there was... I think it was snowing that day, so we, we you know we couldn't quite make it out right away. So we're, we're kind of hanging out in the room, and I'm watching the this cable access channel, and it was and Eddie Money was on there, and he was being interviewed. Um, I think probably at the you know he, I think they probably gave him like like a ski weekend, like basically okay. to come and sing at at this club, and I just remember. For somebody that at one time was doing arenas and is probably now doing clubs, he just couldn't have been more joyful. And he just, it, you know, he actually honestly seemed like he enjoyed the interview. And, you know, once again, he did his shtick where he's got everybody laughing. And, you know, maybe the cameras went off, he started crying. I don't know. <laughs> but at least at the time, I thought, yeah, Eddie, Mur- uh, Eddie Money, still a good guy. Well, I, in my days as a, as a water delivery guy, I used to deliver to Philly International Airport, and in doing so, I got to know some of the guys from American Airlines, and they used to work on the weekends, and so they would go over to the the charter runway where it would be, you know, charter flights, could be the Eagles, could be musical acts that come in, and I remember the one guy saying that Eddie Money was super cool, Yeah, that, that when he came in and out with his family, and at this point, he's at the at the backside of his career, and so he his 
family went with him all over the place and, and say, couldn't have been a nicer guy. So, uh, you know, Eddie Money had, had a really good career and, and seemed to, to, you know, be a good guy doing it too. And that was a great last minute addition to your mixtape, <laughs> I must say. So I'm, I'm going to leave with number seven. I'm going to leave that up to you because this was extreme. This was a Grammy winning song. Okay. But I don't know if you could listen to this and say, hmm, doesn't necessarily tie into the rest of what you're playing here, Scott. But I'll let you be the judge of that. See if you enjoy if you enjoy this song, because you probably haven't heard this one in a long time either. So that is Melissa Manchester with You Should Hear How She Talks About You. And I like the song back then. Probably out of all the songs on the mixtape, might not necessarily be my favorite. But one thing I remember about the mixtape is this was our cousin Shelly's favorite song on the mixtape. You know what? I I remember that. Really? I I totally remember that. We were up at at their cabins upstairs in the bunk Uh area. And Shelly was singing to this song. Yeah, so, you know, there was a little bit in there for everybody, I guess. But but this this has a little bit of that Steve Miller sound to it. It does, yeah. And Melissa Manchester was always a well-respected singer, but didn't necessarily have a lot of chart success. She'd done a lot of uh, stage performances. She acted on Broadway, sang on Broadway. And so she had a song called Don't Cry Out Loud, which was a huge hit in the sure. 70s. Yeah. I hadn't really done anything on the charts until this, but this was for 1982. This was, I believe, female artist of the year or song of the year, but I know she won a Grammy for this. Oh, it's certainly in line with everything that was, that was played. I mean, yeah. it's very upbeat. You know, even a song that's kind of negative, if you actually listen to the lyrics, you know, it's like, she's talking a little bit of trash. Yeah. About another girl. And, um, you know, but still very positive, very, very poppy, very, very upbeat. It's, it was 1982. And, and that's, you know, if this was the top 20 and you have 14 of the top 20, you know, there weren't a whole lot of sad songs. No, not at all. Like I said, the slowest song on this is only The Lonely by the Motels. And there, if you actually go into Billboard, there are slow songs in there, but the Hot Hits formula has bypassed it. So they actually went like, okay. uh, you know, when I went into Billboard and looked at going to a go-go, it was, I believe, down close to 30 when I made this mixtape. So it was like 28. But they bumped it up and, and got they, rid of some of the slower ones? Yeah, they took some of the slow songs out and put in the, uh, you know, the more up-tempo songs. Good for them. Which which I, I think was a, was a winning formula. At that age, we would have appreciated that a lot more. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I wouldn't have looked at, you know, like the motels. I don't know too many people that w- would people slow dance to a song like that back in the day. I mean, you were in junior high, so you would probably know better than me. Uh, probably not. 
Yeah, I I didn't really didn't really strike me as a as a slow like slow dance song, but that's it. Um, fourteen songs. Uh, the mixtape from the summer of nineteen eighty two. I'll just do a quick rundown. So we'll do side A song one, Heat of the Moment by Asia. Song two, Hurt So Good by John Cougar now John Mellencamp. Song number three, Abracadabra by the Steve Miller Band. Song number four, Rosanna by Toto. Song number five, The Other Woman by Ray Parker Jr. Song number six, Only the Lonely by the Motels. Song number seven, Going to a Go-Go Live by the Rolling Stones. Now that was the end of side A. Side B, song one, Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Don't You Want Me by the Human League. Hold Me by Fleetwood Mac. Let It Whip by the Daz Band. Love is in Control, Finger on the Trigger by Donna Summer. Think I'm in Love by The Money Man, Eddie Money, and You Should Hear How She Talks About You by Melissa Manchester. That is the mixtape from the summer of 1982. And we're still talking about it, you know, 41 years later. Who can Part of the high family lore. <laughs> we got to experience it. And I had this is the first time I've heard all those songs put together in the order of your tape in probably 40 years. It, you know, and it, it's funny how, and I'm I'm really glad I actually had the opportunity to do this twenty something years ago. So it was still kind of in my memory, sure. because I don't know if I would have been able to do that now. I don't know if I would have been able to look back forty years and kind of remember what order those songs were played in if I hadn't have done that back in like two thousand two thousand one when I burned it on a CD, uh, you know, from way back in the day. So. It was a little bit closer back then, and, and I and I was able to remember it. So I'm, you know, it's something that I, I put down here for posterity. It's out there for everybody to to listen to on your own. Summer 1982 on Spotify. The playlist is up. If you want to pull it up as a listener, play it in its entirety. It's less than an hour. It's 57 minutes, just under that 60 minute, mm-hmm. uh, you know, cassette tape that I had back in the. And day. what's it? What, what's the title? Summer 1982. Okay. So you can check out the playlist and and give it a listen. Summer 1982, that was a good summer for music. And those songs sound like summertime songs. It does. And and these songs still to in my opinion, I don't there isn't a song on this mixtape that I can say I'm tired of now. Like, oh, I just I got to switch the channel. Like if I hear any one of these songs come up on the radio, I'm going to listen to it in its entirety. And I'm not going to pass off and, and go on to the next one. Obviously, you know, Donna Summer and Melissa Manchester. Are we going to hear those songs? Probably not. No. But the other ones you might because they're, they're still popular and they still get played to this day. I would, you know, as I, I was, you know, trying to recall this, this world famous mixtape that's got put together lying on the living room floor next to our giant stereo. I think I, if you, if you had like said, okay, you know, Here's a blank sheet of paper. Come up with all fourteen. I think I would have come up with ten. Okay. I think I think I remember ten. The 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 four that I would not have come up with. Donna Summer would not have come up with. Okay. Melissa Manchester. Uh, I I don't I I now that I've heard it I remember Eddie Money, and now that I've heard it I remember Fleetwood Mac. Okay. But those those were kind of like you know not my. I liked all of them, but you know those weren't didn't necessarily like that. I remember this being on the tape, but I do remember side one for sure you know the first seven songs i i easily could have come up with those yeah yeah and uh it, it just shows how as as kids and i and i think that's where gen x and sean you talked about at the beginning of this episode where you know that 
because I probably part of the reason why I remember it so much is because I put so much effort. Well, into yeah, it. that's it. And I didn't just I didn't just pluck it off of a, a website somewhere. You know, I like I said, I probably put about thirty hours into putting this one hour tape together. You didn't just go to Spotify and look up Summer of nineteen eighty two and and just play it. There there was. And there's something to be said for that. And I know, we're, once again, we're sounding like old guys right now, but there's there's something about when you actually had to put some effort into it. You're going to appreciate it so much more. And I and I think another reason why maybe maybe why it has you know kept in my mind all these years is because I think for the first time in my life it was something that I worked so hard and it was a big. I got a big response. From well, everybody. that's it. There, there was some appreciation shown yes. for it. Like, yeah. you, like you finally you did something worth worthy of praise. Like I got compliments on, like, sure. oh wow, this is great, and it, kind of, it made you feel good. Like it's like you know your older sister's friends are they're six and seven years older than you, and you get to hang out with them because of what I did here with this mixtape. I, I know there's people probably listening going. You're, you're taking this way overboard. Well, but you know, but I'm sure there are a lot of people that have done the same thing. Like, uh, you know, a good mixtape. There's a lot of there's a lot of thought that goes into it. It's not something, or or at least in this case, a lot of effort. You know, it's not something that is is done lightly. And well, I probably did mine lightly. Oh, well, you know, and and with the with the progression of technology and the ability to dub, yeah. It took a lot of that away, right? Which is which is when I started to do it. I I never had the discipline that you had to do something like this. So I I would dub things from other people when I got my first um, boombox, and that's the reason why I bought it was because I wanted to be able to dub things, right? And it, you know, I still remember I I had. Um, I, I dubbed Appetite for Destruction. Now, of course, it's going to be back, you know, this is like 1987, sure. 1988. And it, the album was too long for my cassette tape. <laughs> and, and so I had to leave um, Anything Goes Tonight off because I had to make a decision what, what gets cut. And then Rocket Queen still cuts off at the very end. And it, like every time I listened to it, even though I knew it was going to happen, I was, right. I, was, I was like, oh. Well, and like I said, you know, that was like the gold when you're sure. when you're doing this recording it's is like, man, I just missed that. Can I make it go yeah. all the way to the end? And it, it's 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 kind of like hitting a home run. It's kind of like the ending of The Sopranos, you know, when it just stopped abruptly and you're like, did someone turn the power off? Yeah, what's going on? And that's here? what would usually happen to my mixtapes. It's I was going strong for those first 12, 13 songs, and then the final one just got cut off. Yeah, and and so I, I but I think for for us as Gen X, you know people that did the mixtapes and then all of a sudden the, the technology came out where you had these uh these dual cd players so now you can pop a cassette on one side and you can record on the other side mm-hmm. instead of just recording off of the radio and the the tape quality started to get better you know i, I wasn't re- i was no longer recording on kmart i'm not disparaging kmart because it was something that we could afford at the time but then radio shack started selling cassettes like I said, TDK, Memorex, Sony, Maxell, JVC, they, um, they started coming out with these. It was kind of like an aluminum-based type uh, tape. Sure, I remember that. And it supposedly made the sound quality so much better. I remember listening to uh, Billy Idol when he was doing his Rebel Yell album. And he said, one of the things that I you know, insisted on was that the cassette tape was going to come out in, I think it was CO2 aluminum because I wanted the highest quality that was available for all the listeners. 
And I was like, oh, I guess that was the thing back then. You know, sure. it, was, it was pre-CD, and the cassette only had so much life in it before you had to go out and get another one. Especially if you were in the, um, what was the, um, the, the, the club um, where you get the sent off for so many. Oh, Columbia. Columbia, yeah. 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 Columbia House. Columbia House, you know, those were pretty poor quality, you know. Yeah, yeah, because they you're right. And they only had so many listens in them. And you and I were both members. I know Lori was, mm-hmm. but you and I did the cassettes. Yeah. And so one of my, they would send it to you and it wouldn't necessarily, it wouldn't have like the full the, front the, on it. Exactly. It'd be like a picture of the album cover. And because I remember one of my favorite cassettes, this would have been the year later was Frontiers by Journey. Mm-hmm. And I wore that sucker out just like I did Pyromania and Quiet Riot. I, I remember the very first Columbia House uh, shipment that I got, and it was like Quiet Riot, Huey Lewis, um, Journey. And I'm trying to think of uh, what the other one it was. Uh, John Mellencamp, John Kruger Mellencamp. Mm-hmm. That was uh-huh. Uh, but I was just so excited to get these and... Um, but there were more. I can't, just can't remember which one. Now, did you sign it by yourself? Uh, with or did with you, permission. Well, but but I mean, so I remember the first time I did it, um, I did it with our sister, Lori. No, it was, I was... We, we actually, we split it. And so I remember going down the list and making my musical selections and she, whatever, however many you got for a penny or whatever it was. That, and I think, because as you know, you would get the card... Every month, and you had to fill that thing out, or if you didn't, you were going to get the selection of the month. Right, and I through that, I actually got some really good selections. Because you of the forgot month. to send the card in, I forgot to send the card in, but it was because of that that I got uh, Purple Rain. It was oh, okay. because of that that I got Born in the USA. So I mean, there were there were some there were some pretty good ones that I don't know if I would have gotten them. Other, I mean, I probably would have at some point, but just the fact that the whole thing with the Columbia House, uh, you know, selection was. It was a new release. Like and I stayed it was, with them throughout the eighties. Yeah, it was I, I CDs. I got a lot of CDs from Columbia House. Yeah, so it was it was definitely uh, something that was that was very popular. And you know, you know, we talk cassette tapes, but uh, for you Gen Xers, you, you know, you're with us. You understand. Uh, you know the whole cassette tape process. Don't leave it in the sun or on the dashboard of your car, because chances are, uh, you know, it's either going to have some wobbles in it or you're going to have to get a new one altogether. And have a pencil handy so you can do a little <laughs> That's repair. Right. That's right. Yeah, you, know, you had to figure that out. And, you know, as you could probably tell from listening to this episode, you know, Scott was way into the te- into the technology and I was not really into the technology. So my my solution to that was just to have Scott do all my tapes for me. <laughs> I, I literally would say, hey, can you dub me uh, Run DMC? And yeah, sure. he, he would dub it for me. And I, you know, I knew I wasn't any good. Now, Sean, there's a there's a little there's just a little bit of an issue on on side A, and you know it's funny because we do this podcast, and I really doubt that people would listen to us and think, man, he's like kind of a stickler on that kind of stuff. You know, it's just kind of funny because we're we're very much uh, loose and off, you know, off the cuff here. That that I would have been like that at one and, time, and we so. still talk about that now because you know Scott spends time working on the quality of this, <laughs> and I show up with a pen in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, so that's my that's my episode on uh, mixtape summer of nineteen eighty two. Hopefully, you enjoyed it. I think it's a good I think it's a good playlist for you to go back and revisit. But uh, for us, it brought back a lot of good memories. It it does, and you know I keep coming back to nineteen eighty two. I I know we've we've talked about. Um, 
how for me like the sweet spot for like my musical taste is probably in, in the middle of high school you know 80 84 85 86 is is really like the dead center you know the dead center of the decade it's when we get live aid i think those three years are incredible but 1982 they i keep going back to that era it that just right at the early days of mtv there's there's some really good stuff going on and, you know and depending when you would have come out with this list you would have had other eyes you would have like a rick springfield who would have been all over wcau um you know i i know you hate the song uh, tainted love by soft cell yes so but that was one that you're always going to hear on wcau true yeah it was played a lot and then the following year i i came up with a another mixtape that was Kind of, so, you know, had some good songs. I think we talked about it in the last episode, but you know, Rick Springfield Affair of the Heart was on that. Uh, Electric Avenue, Eddie Grant. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it was kind of a, a different. Uh, there was definitely a different era of sound and music that was coming through, and the music. But the, the nice thing about the early '80s was it just kept pushing forward, and you just had so much to choose from. And I, I think that's why we look back on it fondly as, as one of the best times musically in our lives. Yeah. Well, good, Scott. I'm, I'm glad we finally got to hear the magic that was your <laughs> mixtape from 1982. So I appreciate that. All right. So what are you going to talk about next week? All right. So, you know, we, we've done quite a bit of music lately and, and you know, understandably so. I mean, we, we love it. And um, but I'm going to go a little different. And so when you and I first came up with this idea a year ago of doing this podcast, um, I put some ideas down as far as what we potentially would have uh, for episodes. And there's, there's one that was on my original list that we've never gotten to. I'd like to do uh, kind of a, a, we'll go back in time to the year is 1980. And one of the biggest events in Gen X pop culture is the Miracle on Ice. So do an episode on the 1980 men's hockey team that won the gold medal there in Lake Placid. I think that's going to be a great area to talk about i I know that's something that we talked when we first put we're putting the idea of the show together was something that we want to be able to cover events and moments in gen x history that was one of the biggest whether you were a sports fan or not that was one of the biggest moments in america if in the gen x era if you weren't a sports fan you probably were during that time or you probably became at least a little bit of a sports fan because the the story of the miracle on ice in the in the U.S. hockey team is is you know, it's historical stuff. It, it's, it's something uh, a, a story that'll last forever. Right. So it's been a year. Uh, I'm finally going to pull the card out, and we're gonna, we're going to do the uh, the miracle on ice. So um, uh, get your skates out, and uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk some hockey. All right. I'm looking forward to it. So as we're wrapping up another episode of Gen X Playback. Hard to believe it's been a year, huh? Yeah, I know. It's 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 amazing that in a year's time, we're at just about 50 states in the United States, as well as I think we're up to 12 countries worldwide. So we added Brazil. Oh, nice. Brazil's uh, first South American country to uh, tune in to the Gen X Playback Show. So no matter where you're from, no matter where you're at at this particular moment, we just like being able to hopefully give you some, some good memories to talk about. Uh, from the Gen X area because we, Sean and I both believe it was a pretty special one and, and we hope you do too. Right. I, I agreed. So thank you for tuning in and um, as I always say, tell a friend. Let's keep it growing. The Miracle on Ice coming to you next week. 
right here on the Gen X Playback Show. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And we'll see you then. See ya.